Hi everyone, it's Ellie. Before we get into this episode, I do need to let you know that we did have some audio trouble with this one. We didn't realise until post, so we are very sorry, but I really hope you stick with it because this is by far my favourite episode. If you are able to cope with our guests' audio dropping in and out a little bit and also a little bit of crackling, then I highly recommend you stick with it because we are super proud of this one. Anyway, enjoy! Hi, you are listening to High Value Women brought to you by the New Feminist Magazine. We are your hosts, Ellie Masiara Fielding. It's your girl, your G. I have to keep up in the ante every time now, but it's the one, the only Adam Sarsity Rawlings. And yes, besties, I am going to the era store. I got tickets. <gasps> I had to let everyone know that straight away. The most important thing. The first thing that it's, said. It's my entire anyway, identity now. <laughs> well, we continue down that rabbit hole. Um... I need to let everybody know that we're here with a super special guest because this is not a regular episode. This is a little history special. So it's we're here with special, our special. extra special special with an extra special guest, Josh West, who is, oh my God, did that rhyme? That was a total accident. Um, <laughs> um, who is our history writer slash editor or whatever title you'd like to give yourself, to be honest. <laughs> Hello, you've really picked me up now. I'm hoping this is going to be worth it, otherwise you're going to lose a hell of a lot of subscribers. <laughs> That's all right, we don't have that many to begin with. <laughs> oh, it's all going to change today, I'm telling you. She's oh. she's one of the... She's such a ter- search term, Marion Antoinette, you're going to get thousands now. <laughs> oh, spoilers! <laughs> no, only joking. So this episode is going to be about Marie Antoinette. Um... And we're really excited about it. This is not like like decided this is going to be a series yet. But if you like it and Josh is happy to come back on, let us know. And we'll make it a series. And we thought um, with Josh's question that Marie Antoinette was going to be a really cool place to start. And if we do it again, I definitely want to do like a Frida Kahlo episode. I'm just putting that out there right now. Mm. Okay. It has been like a Frida Kahlo stand. Josh is nodding in in it's, it's it will be it, it, we we can sort that it's out there <laughs> amazing um so I first of all Josh is an old friend I just want to let everybody know because we were in our student newspaper together he was opinion editor I was feature editor it was a good time we were I was opinion of... editor at mine too sorry <laughs> we were part of the the greatest editorial board inquire Big up UKC, by the way, has ever known and will ever know, to be honest. To be honest, I, I, (laughs) from what I've heard, it went thoroughly downhill afterwards. And we know that Molly built it up to be what it was. So we, Mm -hmm. I think we are a legacy, to be quite honest. Yeah, I'll get in the inside tea now. (laughs) Sorry, no offense, Adam, because we're kind of, by saying this, we're almost (laughs) slandering Adam's student newspaper. Oh, no, trust and believe, like. Scan my student paper. She was cute. She, you know, did a thing, but it wasn't like, you know. <laughs> it was very what's the word? Shit. Oh. oh. <laughs> Fair enough. No, this is no hate to anyone I worked with there. Like I loved them all, like great people, but we just it didn't have the kind of vehicle behind it that it needed. Oh my god, T. <laughs> yeah oh my god y'all getting so many student like journalism exclusives today do you realize how lucky you are i know mm. actually before i'm gonna have to cut something else that adam says <laughs> <laughs> before he gets mm. in trouble with all the people at his old student newspaper <laughs> um let's move on to the femi facts we weren't yeah, gonna I... do them 
but I was like, no, how could I? Ellie, could you go first today, please? Of course, absolutely. I'm actually really excited about mine. So Okay, um, I'm ready for this. Because the Barbie movie is coming out this week. Which <gasps> the gasp was needed. So Thank excited. you for picking this up. I'm so um, ready. Yeah, I'm literally I'm going to see it on Friday. So actually when this episode comes out, it would have it would have come out on Friday already. But anyway, I thought I'd keep it Barbie themed. Now, Barbie feminism feminism barbie we've had our ups and downs we've had our we've had some like amazing slay the boots house down feminist barbie moments but we've also had some moments that are a bit like oop (laughs) a bit a bit this may have set women back 20 years moments um and i feel like because the marketing has been so hype we're only focusing on the positives but i do think it's important that we actually point out problems every now and again um and that's what I want to do because I'm problematic like that (laughs) and I thought I would share three of the most problematic Barbies that Mattel have ever produced in my opinion okay I love this thank you very much (laughs) um okay first one 1963 babysitter Barbie came out right and it comes out with a book that's called how to lose weight and inside the book there's just one page one page two words don't eat and that's no that's a that's a real that's a real thing (laughs) my god what a moment anyway even though this was the 60s this did actually have a little bit of um what's the word um backlash yeah backlash thank you i wanted to say clash back why i'm not sure um so mattel were like okay okay fine fine we take it on board so's about that i don't think they recalled it or anything um but two years later they brought out 1965 they brought out slumber party barbie with the exact same book but not only not only the book it also came with a pink scale that was permanently set to 110 pounds which by the way, um, is about 30 pounds underweight for a five foot nine woman, which was Barbie's supposed height. So that was, Adam looks like, so done. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of this shit. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not laughing because it's not funny, but also I'm If laughing. we don't laugh, we'll cry. No, yeah, can I, I just yeah. say, I'm laughing at Adam's reaction to that. I'm not <laughs> laughing at the fact that Barbie is supposed to be 30 pounds underweight. I am, because it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Um, And then the last one that I chose, I also have like a little extra, just because I, I thought, why not, while we're here. Um, So in 1997, so quite a lot later when we think things are getting better. Um, To be fair, I feel like this, no. Actually, no, to be fair, this is not good. So the Oreo Barbie was released, which was actually a partnership with Oreo. So that's why I'm like, to be fair, because they, they it was just a brand partnership. The problem okay. is... I'm already Barbie getting that, worried. The Barbie that was the collab was a black Barbie. Fuck's sake. So obviously they had no... Apparently they had absolutely no idea until it came out and people were like, you do know what Oreo means, right? Which for those of you who don't know is kind of like a... It's a slur for people who are of black heritage who in some people's view act white. As in Oreo is a dark on the outside and they're filled with white cream. 
exactly that so they did recall that one because they they said it was a genuine mistake i'm not sure how you can miss that but anyway that's like read that's the fucking room oh, yeah. cool bullshit yeah so do i <laughs> um and then just for a little extra for a little bit of a little bit of spice add some add some more to the fire um in 1997 which is the same year so they they had a bad year. 1997 was not a good year for Barbie. Um, they came out with wheelchair Barbie, which is actually great. To I thought it would have come out way yeah. later. So that's great. The problem is they didn't actually check if the wheelchair could fit in the Barbie Dreamhouse lift, which it did not. So um, they later rectified this problem, but there was a lot of little kids who had this Barbie, and they were like, "Hmm, okay." So. Um, that was Mattel being super inaccessible, which we With hate. peace and love, Mattel, I'm glad you're probably getting your shit together a lot more now, but seriously, yes. 1997 and you still weren't having... I was born then. I was born. <laughs> like... Yeah. Jesus Christ, no so... cracker, right? Anyway, that's my family fact. So... Who wants to go next? Um, shall I go next and then we'll have our very special guest close us out and then dive us on into <laughs> the wonderful world of Marie Antoinette yeah Deal. let's go for it Deal. mine's only a short one so it actually comes from a little chat that me and Ellie were having the other day so I think y'all will have heard of MLMs by now but if you don't they're multi-level marketing companies basically they're what's known as a pyramid scheme and I just wanted to just have a little chat for a sec about if anyone doesn't know what MLM is, they're quite a big feminist issue, I would say, because these companies, basically, they make money by targeting people who are usually quite vulnerable, usually women, usually stay-at-home mums, um, very big in, like, sort of middle America kind of circles, you know, where feminist conversations aren't really happening still. And these companies, basically, they find people who are really vulnerable and make those people into like what they call uplines, which basically people they then get other people to sell the products, which the products are always shit as well. Like teas that claim to make you lose weight and like deep bloat would just make you shit yourself. And like makeup that's been made with guano, which is bat poop, I think. Um Ooh. looking at you looking at you unique makeup. Um <gasps> yeah, yeah <I've> dropped. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I just thought, if anyone's not aware about that and kind of wants to be abreast of a big conversation that's happening in feminism right now, there's your little invitation to get involved and do a little bit of research for your own to how to spot people. But I'm pretty sure everyone at this point's had a, hi, hon, how you doing? Just wanted to let you know about this amazing business opportunity that I've got for you. Message like on Facebook or Instagram. Only like you one, get one every of those. two months. <laughs> oh, girl, every week, every single week. They are thirsty for Sarasvati to jump on the MLM trend. Oh my god. The, girl, the girls want it. They really want it. It's because and... they need the money. They're desperate. <laughs> like... You know what it is? I They saw that I put Iris Tor on my story and they're like, oh that bitch got money. Like, let's go for her. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's a good tactic. And hmm. I'm like, y'all don't even know I'm broke now. <laughs> yeah, I bet after the Iris Tor ticket. Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, have you I ever been... Even... I don't even think he charged that much to see him, to be honest. <laughs> Just a few palm leaves. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of lives and a fish. Exactly. Oh. So that's my little Femi thought, Femi fact, Femi feeling. 
Femi feeling. I like that. Femi feeling. That's our new segment. <laughs> it's just going to be Femi ad word. Like, ad, until we ad just run any out word. Yeah, literally. So, okay, no, I for... love it. Yeah, I know you've literally been gagging to talk about Oh, Ellen's. no, I really <laughs> like, am. Literally... I'm, like, jumping at the bit. Guys, Adam messaged me, like... I'm pretty sure like quite late the other <laughs> night like, and it was just like we need to talk about MLM so I was like I guess you... no, I was like, actually, I didn't asked... even reply I was like let me reply no. another day I can't <laughs> Ellie asked me if I was high and I was like but once no I actually wasn't I was just thinking about MLMs oh sorry about that anyway Josh let's hear yours okay so here we go here's see if I can say it my Femi thought and Femi fact. Yes. It's, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have you two kind of guess. How many women do you think are fighting in the Ukrainian army at Ooh. the minute? Ooh. I don't even know how many men are. People, yeah. So um, I don't even know their population. So Can we give you a percentage as opposed to like an actual raw number? Yeah, you, 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 you go. Uh, I don't know because I don't want to underwhelm you. <laughs> I'll just, say, I'll just say. So uh, uh, there's around forty-two to fifty thousand women. Oh wow! In no way. Army, in in something, and around we think around between ten to twenty thousand of that in forward uh, service. You know, on like frontline services. Oh wow! Like oh my that. god! Yeah. I had absolutely no idea. No, no one's mm. talking about that. Mm. And I think, I think, and I think that probably stems from the fact of when the invasion happened. It was, it was almost like the Titanic. It was women and children could leave the country, but men had to stay on it. And I mm. think as a, there's always this sense of you know Ukraine as a very masculine country, very macho sort of like tra- quite traditional, should we say? Yeah. Um, you know, so sort of the women are at home doing what they can at home. We can't say that women are doing anything, but, uh, you know, and the men are on the front line. But no, there are, you know, you know, around, um, they think there's around a million men fight, I'm uh, sorry, a million wow. people in the Ukrainian army. So that's about 5% of, oh my God. you know, the Ukrainian military, you know, being that's helped up by the women. Like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I always think, so I did like politics degree, like studied like a lot of conflicts and stuff as part of that. And I've always thought, you know, like, if anything happened here, like, I'm a pacifist, I'm a Hindu, like, you know, like, not about the fights, none of that. I always think, like, in the case of war, it'd be, like, one of those places, I'd be, like, right, I just, I'm going to be completely fucked, because, like, they will they won't mm-hmm. acknowledge that I'm non-binary, they'll literally just send me, because, like, it was between my legs. Mm-hmm. So, at least if that happens, maybe, like, I'll have some girlfriends on the front line. Maybe. Maybe. But also, please, let's not go into a war. Yeah, also, let's end no. all war, because I am yes. super, super, Finish like, it. radically anti-war, so... Suck your mother Stains. Putin, as they say in the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Suck your mother Putin. You know. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was such a good one. That was, do you know what? Yeah. I can't believe I nearly skipped the Femi fact. What is wrong with me? Never again. Never, Never again. again. Girl, <laughs> Never we, got again. Barbie, we got Barbie, MLMs and women on the front lines. And you want to skip all that. Our I, viewers, what is our listeners, wrong with me? this is not filmed. Um, They got to miss out on that. I'm so like, from the bottom of my, I need to do a YouTuber apology right now. Actually, <laughs> Someone get her a ukulele. All aboard! <laughs> we can't go down this rabbit hole again. We can't. Me and Ellie talk about it like once every two days at least. 
Okay, okay, okay. No, don't, because I actually will. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> First three. Yay. Josh, do you want to tell us a little bit about what we're, who we're talking about? So we are going to be talking about probably, you know, um, maybe top five, top ten, probably top five famous women in history. So we're talking about Marie Antoinette, the famous wig wearing, let them eat cake, absolutely unfeeling, atrocious, glamorous uh, woman whose fashion and uh, just arrogance led to her having her head cut off during the French Revolution. Oh my I god, what an intro. Like my Tinder bio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And you know fashionable, <laughs> awful, wears wigs, eats cake. There are, <laughs> there are very few people who you can hear just one just a few words and know exactly who you're talking about. So let them eat cake. Seven out of ten people are going to immediately think Marion Antoinette, and that's because the other three probably wouldn't even have heard of it before. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm g- spoiler. She never said it, and there's no evidence that she ever said it. Wait. So where did it come from? Well, I'm gonna leave that for like at the end. Oh, like, okay. There's gonna be a little, little, little thing at the end. We're gonna be talking about because you Stay know. Tuned. So this whole idea you know my introduction to Marie Antoinette is a carefully constructed lie or falsehood that has been that was weaved by revolutionaries and then perpetuated by historians all of the men can we just say the women are coming back to save Marie Antoinette let's just say the historians the historians are coming back and they're and they're saving her we're getting her back that's what we'll see from what I know about Marie Antoinette just from just before you sent me the little like resources I a few words popped to mind promiscuous extravagant uh, selfish and maybe like a fashion icon because I know that that Mm. that's the case and incestuous because I had a lot of incesty Mm. rumors that's what comes to mind for me like yeah I almost think of her kind of like I know a lot about the life of Marilyn Monroe but kind of how I think for a lot the way people think Mm. about Marilyn like more of like a, a figure, like a, a symbol mm. than an actual person. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that is true of so many women in history because so little was written about them at the time because who bothers to write about what women do 400, 300 years ago? You know, it's not going to matter in a hundred years' time. Um, that's me being sarcastic, by the way, everyone. Please. <laughs> you, can't see, you can't see me being sarcastic on a camera, but yeah. Um yeah, so all we have is what is written about them, you know, centuries down the line. So many Roman women are known as being femme fatales, you know, Cleopatra and the likes of that is purely because the male historians in medieval times who have an agenda of we need to make men look brilliant and women look either weak or bad, manipulate what was already not you know, should we say a bit iffy facts to create a narrative. That's um, insane. Like it just makes me makes me think mm. of how much of history is yeah. not yeah. correct. Yeah, so well, yeah, so yeah, so historian yeah. yeah, so historians historian rule number one, and this is what we're all taught at university, history is not the past. History is how we see the past today. We will never know what happened. No, so this whole podcast, we're only going off what we think we know. We don't know 
really what happened because even at the time what we call primary sources which you're supposed to trust have all got you know bias behind them there's always an angle behind them and it's you know it's 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 difficult to sort of what we would say um revise history to yeah try and get as close as we can but we never we we never ever can know what it was like back then how many different stories do people have about covid you know how, what, <laughs> yeah that's what, actually so true what one's what one story can the historians in 100 years time say about covid because everyone had such a different experience so that is i've gone wildly off track but that's just you know a little a little thing no about that's history. yeah that was that was such a good little intro because i'd never yeah. heard of that like what what you were taught about how history isn't yeah. you know that that's so cool so okay, I'm I'm assuming that most of the things this was a sort of preface to say that most of the things that we know about Marie Antoinette aren't necessarily true or at least have been embellished. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm They're excited to about, get into it. Yeah, you know. I mean, I, su- I suppose as well. Obviously, I'm sure you'll dive into this, but like, obviously, she was on the losing team in the conflict mm. that defined her life, and obviously, mm. history is written by the victors. So she's kind of already on the back foot in a way that even people like Cleopatra and, you know, sort of other figures Mm. aren't. Because, like, I mean, I'm sure you will tell us a lot about this, but from what I know, Mm. girl went through it. (laughs) Absolutely. She really did from from day dot. From day dot. From the minute she stepped into that French court, it was just, she was condemned, to be honest. She was doomed, really. So, um, shall we get to know the lady herself? Let's get who is Marie Antoinette. Well, her name was not Marie Antoinette. Well, shit. Her name... <laughs> I'm already <Anna>. wrong. <laughs> she is an Austrian, so her name is Maria Antonia, and she was born on the 2nd of November, 1755, at the Hofburg Palace in Vienna, which was then the Holy Roman Empire, which is something we really won't get into. But what we would call today as Germany and Austria was this thing called the Holy Roman Empire. We won't get into it. Right. And she was the youngest daughter and penultimate child of 16 children of an absolute powerhouse of a woman and definitely someone we need to talk about uh empress maria theresa of austria who was an empress in her own right she was the only woman in around 2000 uh no let's say 1500 years of the holy roman empire to hold power she even fought louis the 14th in an eight-year war to keep her throne um, absolute powerhouse of a woman. Holy shit! Um, so, so this girl, this girl was raised by an absolute like yeah. strong ass bitch. Oh <laughs> yeah. Can we yeah. just say Hell as well, yeah. like homegirl, youngest of sixteen kids, and also was a Scorpio. Like, damn. <laughs> I mean, like, also don't hate Scorpios. I'm a Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. but yeah, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so. She's an archduchess. They don't have princesses in the Holy Roman Empire. She's an archduchess. Um, And she would have received an education expected of noble ladies. So she would have been taught languages, so German, uh, French, Latin. Uh, She would have been taught dancing, literature, music. Um, She was seen, in comparison with her mum, who let's say is some big shoes to fill and her yeah, sister's that's gonna give a you bit some slow. complexes um yeah she she was um she was complimented on her dancing 
um, and her singing voice. And she she was fantastic at playing instruments. And um, she was quite good friends with a certain um, Austrian composer called Wolfgang Mozart. Amadeus Mozart, who was only a couple of months younger than her. Oh, um, shit. Yes. Cool. Yes. She was quite good friends with him. Um, but, you know, in, in what we would call the academic um, sphere, she wasn't that let's should we say quick on the pace so she struggled to write her own name at the age of 10 um in german let alone you know latin and italian and french um her french tutor so the man who was sent over we support the dyslexics absolutely oh well we we can't say that she's we don't know that she's dyslexic but she was she was brilliant in some things let me just say there's something going on there (laughs) yeah i mean she was a good dancer like girl was just in a shakira bag it's fine yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but her french her french tutor described her as more intelligent than has been generally supposed but he also admitted that she was rather lazy and extremely frivolous. Um, let's remember, she is 12 at this stage. Like, what 12-year-old really takes her education seriously? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but what was what was her future? What, what future did she have? And unfortunately, it, it wasn't very much of one. We're talking about a princess or archduchess of a, a, a great power. There's only one thing that women in general do in this period is that they get married and they have children. That's their one role in life that the church dictates to them. Um, so, you know, that's why she's being trained, shall we say, in uh, dancing in languages to impress a man. We've all seen Bridgerton. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. It's, 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 that's exactly what it is. This is on a wider scale. But of course, we're talking about she's the daughter of an empress here. This is, you know, maximized times a hundred. Okay, we're actually talking about politics here. Royal children in this period, and you know, until about a hundred years ago, were just political pawns. Political pawns. Mm. Um, she was, you know, so you know, Mar- uh, you know, Maria Theresa gives birth to her. Brilliant. That's you know, pawn number fifteen that we can sell off to someone really so she's not, how did children aren't children how did miss princess how did she get to france if she's i didn't even know do you know what i didn't even know she was austrian <laughs> i feel like i did but i don't know how she got to france like but yeah tell us how she got there well this is this is it so um the habsburgs have been selling off their children so she's part of the habsburg dynasty which is hundreds and hundreds they of the years ones old with, like the weird chins and stuff because they were yes. really inbred yes <laughs> okay this is a different branch of that that branch died out so that was the no Spanish surprise, branch. Really. We're talking about the Austrian branch here. It breaks up in the 1500s. But yes, it, it is that same family. Um, you know, from humble beginnings in the medieval period, they'd risen to be rulers of Austria, the Netherlands and Spain, purely through marriages. And Maria's two sisters were already um, the Duchess of Parma and the Queen of Naples. They'd already been sold off. Um, so how does she get to France? Um, Austria and France, we're talking about the two greatest powers in mainland Europe. Okay, and they'd been at each other's throats for about 300 years. Um, and then, you know, obviously it takes a woman, Maria Theresa um, and Louis XV of France decide this has gone on too long. You know, so much over this. Let's side against the Protestants. So the whole map of Europe and its alliances are changed so that they go against, you know, Britain and the Dutch. And the likes of that, it, it, it's Catholic versus Protestant 
now, right. so to speak. Um, and so they decide to end this by creating the greatest alliance of all. Let's marry the two houses together. So they go about deciding that they're going to marry off one of her daughters to King Louis' grandson and the Dauphin of France. That's kind of like the heir to the throne, what we call the Prince of Wales, uh, Louis Auguste, who would later become Louis the Sixteenth. Um, Mariah's sister was the first candidate to marry, um, but her death meant that Mariah was almost promoted. You know, so it's a, it's it, it's a thing of oh well, right. one's gone. Well, well, you know, we'll bunk the other one up. Um, of course, she has no say in the matter. You know, this is the final seal on the deal. They've done, you know, the ceasefires have done this. This is the final stamp of yes, we are an alliance now. She's quite literally, you know, an article in a in a in a in a peace negotiation, really. Um right. so in 1770, uh Mariah was just 14, and this is mere months after her first period, by the way. She doesn't just start having her first period. Uh she was married by proxy to uh Philip Auguste in Vienna. Do you know what being married by proxy means? No, does it mean that you're ask. is it like you're married but you're not actually physically having the ceremony together? But it's like yeah. yeah. I so, see. So basically if you want to look at it physically, Mariah marries her brother. So her so she gets married in 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 the, the cathedral in Vienna. Um her brother stands in for Louis Auguste and she marries him basically, which sort of means that she is married to him in the eyes of God because he's... Yeah. He's, it's, 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 ridic- it's a ridiculous... Wait, life. how old is and she? She's 14. 14. Oh, my God. And then, like, if you're a Catholic, theologically, you're, you've got married in the church to your brother. Can I ask the question, did they consummate the marriage? No, no. <laughs> luckily, oh, luckily, no. This is literally... This is purely so she can travel across Austria and into France already as the queen of, uh, as sorry, as the wife of the Dauphin. You know, so okay, she's already right, got, okay. so she's already got, and it's also a brilliant way to seal it as well, because, you know, it's a brilliant way of, well, she can't, he can't change his mind when she's halfway across Austria now. They're married now. He's right. You know, okay. It's a brilliant way of, you know, making sure it's. Did he it's have done. to do the same thing in France? No, no. he's a bloke. Of course he doesn't. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm gonna get increasingly frustrated. No, homegirl. Unfortunately, unfortunately, homegirl is like fresh into womanhood. Well, not really because she's 14. Yeah, but like at least culturally in their eyes, it's like they're like, okay, sis is a woman now. So like, let's marry her to her brother because that's normal. And then they're like, right, okay, let's just ship the bitch across to France. That's it. And then this is a really, it's it's a really horrible ritual that takes place on the border so this is the book this is the rhine river um and basically on an island in the middle of the river what we would call neutral ground she is literally stripped of her austrian identity so she's taken into a tent she's stripped down to her underwear and forced into a french dress um she was made to say goodbye to all her attendants you know these are like her best friends they've traveled across austria with her she's grown up with them goodbye you never see them again you're gone um, and she's even forced to give up her little German dog. Okay, now oh, let me just cut in right here because before you guys pull up, does the dog die.com? Because that's exactly what I would do. She does get the dog back. I googled it. Okay. Yes, she does get the dog back. <laughs> she does get the dog back. Um, I know this does the dog die.com is a thing. <laughs> oh my god, it's like starred 
on my browser and it's the first <laughs> first if there's a tv show a movie or anything with a dog in it just a dog comes on my screen i immediately go to does the dog die.com because i can't handle it speaking of hello shadow please leave <laughs> she does get the dog back yes she does get the dog back eventually um but this well, is something went right then this is literally the moment where marie antoinette is born because mariah antonia too german marie antoinette is the french equivalent so this is how we know her as marie antoinette so she's literally made french in about five minutes and then wow. she's flown into a carriage and sent off to the court of uh, at uh, the palace of versailles and you know let's just discuss versailles at the minute i don't know if any of our listeners have been it's you know beautiful sumptuous architecture delicate little portraits and and and, and water features hell no we're talking about the Court of Versailles in the 1700s. We're talking about 3,000 power-hungry nobles, their scheming wives and their greedy mistresses all cramped into one palace. It's called the Gilded Cage because that's literally oh, what... Mm. Yeah, it's what... So when Louis XIV builds Versailles, he builds it so all the nobles have to stay in court where he can keep an eye on them. They can't be far away scheming against him. So you could say that this was like the first hype house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I this was is... going to ask though, sorry. If all the nobles are in the Gilded Cage... How do they like manage their own lands and stuff? Do they all have to do it like from far away? Do they leave like a sunder or yeah. something? Yeah, basically. I mean, no, because if you were away from the court of Versailles, you couldn't, you could, you couldn't know what was going on. You know, it, it was a cage, but it was also you couldn't really be anywhere else because if you weren't at court, how could you get in with the king or? Ah, uh, you're kind of like a nobody. Yeah. Yeah, you're like a pariah. If you're sent away from court, it's the worst thing imaginable. And, you know, there are there are cases of you know, nobles and mistresses committing suicide oh, because, oh, because which, of course, which we're not going to talk about lightly because it's just such a horrible thing. You know, you, you're mm. an outcast, you're gone. Like, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's a really I horrible world. Yeah, I say this in, like, a really, like, serious way, but it's almost like mm. being sent away from court is our modern equivalent of, like, being cancelled. Oh yeah, like, but like Absolutely. the nth degree. It's like you don't get to make an apology video and like come back. Like you're fucked. Wow. Mm. Mm. Um, and yeah, so you know, uh, one of the things that I I sent you to sell, you know, sent you to listen to, um, one of the historians calls it "Mean Girls to the Power of a Hundred. Absolutely, yeah. it is. Mm. These people are horrible, and they will do anything to get what they want, including dragging down the new wife of the farm. So on the 16th of May, 1770, she actually marries Louis Auguste in, in, in a ceremony at Versailles. She, so she gets married again, but to the same guy. Still and at then 14. She's taken for a, still at 14. Yeah, 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 yeah. Still at 14. And then she's taken for a ritual bedding. Does anyone want to take a horrible guess at what that is? I've seen Game of Thrones. I know what that is. Yeah. So mm. she and Louis are escorted in a grand procession to their bedroom where they basically have sex in front of a crowd. And there are a number of reasons for doing this. One, it's to make sure that the marriage is consummated. Two, to make sure that she's a virgin, because she'll obviously bleed if she's a virgin. Like, it's, it, it, it's a horrible real. thing. <laughs> But yeah. and this is the thing we don't know why. But every but Louis the Fifteenth, who is actually just 
described as Louis the Kind, he's actually quite a kind king, sends everyone out. He sends everyone out. So they're taken there, they're put in the bed, the curtains are closed around the four-poster bed, and then he tells everyone to leave. So it is actually just Louis and um, Marie on their own, which causes problems later down the line. Um, I see. But she was immediately attacked viciously by different people at court, not least because of her appearance. So actually, when Louis first sees his bride-to-be, he winces because she's supposedly so ugly. That's rude Um, as fuck. Yeah, that um, is rude remember, as fuck. She's fourteen. She's only just started puberty. She's but... just been bedraggled through the fucking half mm-hmm. of Europe. Like mm-hmm. you'd be a bit rough too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sheet but... masks didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> but monstrous wigs were commissioned to cover up her disappointing hair. Um, <laughs> to fix her teeth. I don't know if you saw the documentary, but people look it up online. Yeah, Search Marion Antoinette braces. Disgusting. Oh. They're so it's... dangerous and. Oh, it looks like a torture device. Yeah, her teeth were filed and everything like that. And, um, of course, because her boobs are just not developed enough yet, a special corset is made to plump up her breasts. And let's remember, everyone, she's 14. Oh, my God. It's disgusting. It's it's horrible. Um, But more disgusting is the biggest reason behind the almost instant hatred of Marie at court was her Austrian nationality. So to many, you know, it's not enough that the king and the empress have decided that the stuff is over. Austria is the hereditary enemy of France. They can never be trusted. So this foreign princess is just an agent of Austria and we can't trust her. And that is something that will continue long, well, until she's dead, basically, until she's killed. Um, and it's also worth pointing out how deadly dull her new husband is okay he you really couldn't find anyone more boring or shy than louis auguste um he would prefer to spend hours tinkering with his lock collection uh, and looking after the animals he would collect in the versailles gardens than actually doing what they would call masculine activities like hunting and fencing um from her diaries he barely says a word to marie for the first few months they're married you know, he, he's so shy, he can barely bring himself to speak to her. Um, Man's do... sounding like a little, a little, mm-hmm. um, not straight. <laughs> also, also, well, he sounds, I know you say boring, he sounds kind of sweet. How old is this? Yeah, is he's he? just playing with he his is, animals. He is very, he is very, he is very sweet. He's very sweet. And, you know, he is very sweet. And you'll find out why, because, you know, they do eventually get, become quite close and he gets so sad for her that she's so sad at court that he sends for her dog to come to be bought for her king behavior literally no actually i stand he's not boring i stand get me some louis but you but you you know you must understand you know in when i say boring it's by the standards of the day so he's just uncommonly shy and doesn't really want to do anything you know we're talking about the court of versailles here when everything is about excess and showing yourself off to the crowd that's louis's idea of hell right okay so yeah um can't relate we'll go off she's at (laughs) so she's at versailles now she's at versailles and she is the dauphin so you have the dauphin and the dauphin or the dauphine if you want to pronounce it like that so the, the princess of france basically we'll call her um so remember what her french tutor said about her being difficult to educate and to control it's exactly the same at Versailles. 
Um, it's impossible to overemphasize the rigidness of court at Versailles. So remember the gilded cage? Mm. That's also day-to-day life for the royal family as well. So every waking moment was done in full public. Marie couldn't eat, sleep, or even go to the toilet without a whole entourage of women following her. Ugh. Everything was displayed from the moment she got up, so the grand levée, and the moment she got to bed was all ceremony, timed to the minute. Oh my so she god! Had very little free, very little free time. Again, it's the gilded cage. It's everyone needs to be looking at me, you know, because if everyone's looking at the royal family, they can't be off scheming somewhere else. Oh, I mean, it, we've it's, all it, heard of, we've all had like toxic <laughs> work environments, but that's taken it a bit <clears> far, isn't it? Yeah, really is, really is. Um, so, you know, during the Grand Levée, um, it's ridiculously hierarchical as well. So everyone's pitting themselves against each other. You know, I'm the Grand Duchess, I'm the Princess, all stuff like this. Um, so during the Grand Levée, only the most senior woman in the room could hand Marie her undergown. Um, so most mornings, Marie would just stand there freezing as this bunch of women squabbled to, you know, <laughs> over, well, no, I give it to her. No, no, I give it to her. No, no, I give it to her. And she's just standing there going, just someone put the fucking thing on me. <laughs> you know? Um, oh, bless. You know, and you've got to think, these women hate her, but she's forced to live her life with them. I mean, can you imagine what that does to someone? Nah, you know, these I women don't want her okay. there. It's horrible. Um, but this all changes on the 10th of May, 1774, when Louis XV dies from smallpox horrible horrible disease um you know google it if you want but i wouldn't advise google imaging it it's really sorry is this the husband Um, no this is the uh father Father father-in-law grandfather-in-law shall we say there's a lot lot of louis yes yes for nearly 200 years every king of france is called louis so is this louis the 14th that's dead now Louis the Fifteenth is dead, so okay. Louis Auguste now becomes Louis the Sixteenth, and Marie Antoinette becomes the Queen of France. We've arrived at the moment where she is now Queen okay. of France, okay. Okay. and okay. and so within weeks she throws off this yoke of of, of formality oh, and pop-off routine. Queen. She does. She goes off and she begins dressing herself. She dismisses everyone and she goes, "No, you know, I only need three people to dress me. Why? Why? Why?" Is everyone else here? Fuck off, basically. She sends she yes. sends them away. I love um, that in the that. words of Lizzo, it's about damn time. It's yeah, about yeah. damn time. Mm-hmm. And you know, l- within two weeks, Louis gifts her the, you know, quote unquote modest villa of the Petit Trianon in the grounds of Versailles. This is what we would call a mansion, but compared to Versailles, it's a little cottage, basically. Um which was originally made for his grandfather's mistress, uh, Madame de Pompadour. If you've watched Doctor Who, there is an episode about her, which is the best Doctor Who episode there is. Um, and we should definitely do a uh, history thing about Madame de Pompadour. But yeah. Um, Just for the name this... alone, let's do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was where Marie could be herself. This was her little cocoon, okay? She didn't need attendance. She didn't need all that. This is where she could be herself, surrounded only by people she wanted there. But this freedom obviously comes at a cost. It puts the whole court's noses out of joint. We're talking, you know, the court of Versailles, people chart themselves 
in the pecking order upon how close they can get to these people. Maria's now shut the door on that. And, you know, to have this taken away by this foreign upstart in the eyes of them, it's just outrageous, you know. It's ruffled mm. quite a few feathers. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and, the, and the Petit Trianon becomes the only part of Versailles that is not open to the aristocracy. So before the aristocracy could come in and out and go everywhere they wanted to, apart from private apartments, this is just by invitation of the Queen. And there's even little signs put up in the ground saying, by invitation of the Queen, which just outrages people. They're furious. Um, and so begins a lifelong defamation campaign by her enemies at court. You know, rumours were circulated that she decorated the walls of the Trianon with gold and diamonds, and it was the setting for numerous homosexual orgies. You know, this all things it's, it's, <laughs> Where's it's, my it's, invite? It's, <laughs> it's literally the haters. They're saying, "Well, if we can't go in there, we'll, you know, we'll make up all sorts of shit to say. Oh, well, we didn't want, we don't even want to be in there. Oh my god, it's like they get up to in there. The drama channels are drama channeling. Yeah, I, I have a, a question about this actually, because mm-hmm. so the so before this, Josh sent us a couple uh, like a podcast clip and a little like mini docu thing. Um, which I watched while I was cooking. So some of it went in, some of it slipped straight out. <laughs> so I'm learning right now. Um, but obviously it, there was a lot of gossip, like what you're talking mm. about, about mm. Mary at, at the at the time. So like, understandably, a lot of historians take things with like a pinch of salt. Yeah. Um, and have like dismissed certain accounts about her character. Mm. But mm. I know that, from the stuff he sent me that there were quite a few like rumors of her her like being involved in these like lesbian orgies mm, and just like queerness in, yeah just queerness yeah. in general being um lesbian. and like in both of the things that you sent me they dismiss it really quickly and it they, they yeah. pair it with her being like it like monstrous and it's like monstrous yeah. She might be gay. So I'm thinking, like, do you mm. think that, like, past historians might have maybe, like, projected some homophobia? Because that could be true. Like, I don't know why that's so outrageous. Like, could that be... I think, I mean, I'll tell you this thing. Historians always get outraged whenever they think something is incorrect as alleged. Um, right. So, but no, certainly, I think there is, you know, the, the shock of her being, you know, the, the, the concept of her being a lesbian Mm. you know to some people is like oh, 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 oh um i'll be um i will give my personal opinion i don't think she was okay i don't think she was um she was certainly very very close with a lot of her attendants you know especially the princess de lambal um and uh oh you know what i've forgotten who it is now um Damn it! Cut that bit out. But yeah, the princess de Lam- the princess de Lambal, um, because these are the only people she had. You know, it's very hard to find friends that aren't going to try and manipulate you. You know, mm. um, so she does have. She is very, very close to these people. Um, but you know, the arguments of and again, the homosexuality thing, the lesbian thing, that's racism as well, because you know lesbianism and homosexuality was called the Austrian vice, the German vice, you know, the Germans, they're, they're, they're the homosexuals, you know, they're, they're always at it in France. We don't do that. We don't do that. So again, that's racism, a thing of, well, she's hanging around with women and she's Austrian. Of course she's a lesbian. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 again, it's that racism playing into it, which I don't think people 
actually associate with Marie Antoinette as a white woman, but she was a real victim of it. Really? Do you think maybe you'd call that xenophobia instead? Yeah. Yeah, but sorry, whatever whatever anyone wants to call it, xenophobia but definitely. She but... was ostracized because she was from a different cultural Absolutely. background. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's insane. That is... And because she found it so hard to conform to this new way of life that was really thrown upon her in the in the case of 5 minutes, like Yeah, yeah. Mm. Poor woman, but, um, I'm just really, really hmm. in my feelings. No, I'm sorry to say it only gets worse, to be honest. It only gets worse. Uh, would, you like to know, would you like to know what they call her at court? Okay, go on. Go for it. They call her Lost, lost Chien. What does that mean? So, chien means dog. Chien also that. means bitch. Uh, so she's, she's the yeah. Austrian bitch. That's oh, what no. they begin to call her at court. Um, she but, still must be like really young at this point, though. No? Yeah, she, yeah, she's, yeah. In, she's still a teenager at this oh, point. Jesus Christ! Um, like, this is but, like around seventy-four, right? So she'd be about eighteen. Yeah, roughly around this time. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 seventeen seventy, 1770, uh, seventeen seventy-four. Yeah, she is about eighteen, nineteen. Um, but one thing you'll be very happy to see: one thing Marie was unashamedly was was she spent money when it came to her clothes. And there's a very yes, important reason babe. behind it. There's an important <laughs> reason behind it, and we're not going to shame her for it like the revolutionaries did. So by the 1780s, she was spending 300,000 livres on clothes a year. Just to put that into context with you, that's 10,000 times the average income for a peasant on clothes. She has 200 new pairs of shoes every year. And Goals. two diamond braced two diamond bracelets worth six million pound six million dollars each. She throws on the bling. But why? Icon, sorry. But... Yeah. Can I absolutely chance a guess at why? You, yes, is go the, for it. Is the reason she spent so much on fashion? Was it almost like armor in a sense that if she had so much finery and grandeur mm. in the court it was almost like it made her quite untouchable and it put a barrier between her and the aristocrats because she just demonstrated how much wealthier she was absolutely <gasps> absolutely a star for me really right. that's really right it's 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 one re it's one way of getting back at her haters in court it's a sense of well you want me to be a bitch Fine, i'll show you a bitch revenge you know, dress I'll, 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 it literally really is this is it literally really, really a revenge is. dress yeah, she dresses to impress. She's like, you can say what you want about me. You will never be able to afford this stuff. Wait, no, I'm actually like, stunned right now. What the hell? No, I'm I literally gonna... is that so? Is there a modern film? Like, I need, I need content immediately. <laughs> I need more. <laughs> well, and it's also just you know, a, a a way of her coping with her life. You know, her husband isn't particularly interested in her. The women around her hate her. She throws herself into things that she likes to do. She likes to dress pretty. Um, you know, there's 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 an emotional thing behind it as well. Um, it's her comfort blanket, really. I suppose you know, this way of almost manifesting a bit of self love as well. Like absolutely, you know, she's she's treating yeah. herself. We and we we all do that. We all treat mm. ourselves. And also, mm. if you mm. gave me that much money at that age, you best believe I'd be doing the yeah. same damn thing. And yeah. I'm not even trying to get back at anyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trust and believe, head to toe, Alaya, Versace, Dior, <laughs> the whole shebang. Like, um, I would be stepping out on these streets yet. But it will come as no surprise that people in the court began to start rumours in 
the Paris, so amongst the people, how much the Queen was spending on these clothes. Um, and it didn't look good in the context of rising taxation, uh, numerous failed harvests, and a sharply rising deficit in France. Um, so by 1775, um, even her mother is writing to her from Austria saying, you know, your, your spending is making people hate you. You <laughs> must be careful. Um, and this is, so what we're going to talk about now is, 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 I think, a really important thing to talk about in terms of women in this period and Marie Antoinette's life. Um, she has bigger things to worry about than how much she's spending on clothes. She has been married to Louis for seven years now. And she has not fallen pregnant, let alone given Louis an heir or France an heir. And this is a period where, you know, you're expected to fall pregnant within months of being married. You know, if you were pregnant, if you weren't pregnant within a year of being married, it was, you know, a bit sniffed at. But seven years without any children at all. Um, and remember, this was Marie's one job. Queens were never political players, but they were purely to ensure the line of succession. That's what they did. It and sounds like common... it wasn't her fault though, anyway. Ah, well, this 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 is the thing, this is the thing. Um, and it's at a time when a couple were never truly married until they consummated the marriage. Um, you know, and so her mother is writing frantic letters to her from Austria saying, have you consummated yet? Have you consummated yet? This isn't a done deal. This isn't a done deal. Do your duty to Austria. This poor girl's 18. You know, she's mm. she's scared. She's in a foreign country. Um, she's got like the fate of two countries on her hands, basically. She yeah, really is. A lot of on her hands when it, yeah, yeah. And it's even more dangerous when you think that if Louis was unhappy with her or the French court was unhappy with her, they could send her back as spoilt goods because they're not married yet. If they've not consummated, they're not married yet. So they can just send her back. Then he oh can marry God. someone else. But also, I imagine that if that happened, she would have a lot of stigma over her because she had had sex. Oh, she'd be point. a pariah. She had, no, she hadn't had sex. This is the thing. This is what I'm going on at. They hadn't had children because they hadn't had. Oh, so when they sex. did this bedding ceremony, they right. I'm with you now. That's I'm what sorry, I'm you cannot at. tell me that Louis was not gay. That's what I'm <laughs> guessing. Nah, at. like give me two <laughs> minutes with this guy, I would turn it out. <laughs> this is what. This is what I'm getting at. So that bedding, had someone seen, witnessed them doing it, it would be fine. No one has seen, there's no evidence that the marriage has been consummated at all. Um, okay. Uh, but, you know, and the rumours, of course, began to spread immediately as to why she and Louis hadn't had sex, you know, from the fact that she was frigid to the fact that she was a lesbian and rumours, of course, that Louis was a homosexual. Um but that was fine. So if the French king fancied a couple of boys, that was fine. If the queen was a lesbian, it was another matter entirely because she couldn't have any children. Oh, um, my God. But, of course, it could not be the fault of Louis. It's not Louis's fault. Well, actually, it is. It is Louis's oh. fault. Um, so after seven years of uncertainty and with the marriage on the rocks, uh, Marie's brother, Joseph, who later becomes emperor of Austria and um, is dispatched for a round of marriage counseling. And he basically sits. <laughs> so can you imagine your brother doing this with your husband or partner sitting, sits them down and talks them through the birds and the bees. <laughs> oh my Lord. You know, and they're, and you know, and they're, <laughs> and oh they're you know, around, and they're around 20, Louis 22 at the time. So they're still very, very young. Um, and he soon finds out that Louis doesn't know how to do it. He hasn't even, con 
he hasn't connected ejaculation with procreation. He hasn't oh, made bless that his heart. connection. Um, so in a letter to his brother Leopold, Joseph describes them as, a, quote, a couple of complete blunderers. He said that Louis merely introduces the member and then stays there without moving for about two minutes, withdraws, and without having completed the act, bids goodnight. Wait, not them soaking. Oh. Oh no! Wait, no wait. <laughs> right, that's, how, that's Louis. Oh, he, no, he puts no. it in. He puts it in. Uh, Marie They're literally soaking. Leaves this poor her in. guy. Mm-hmm. And it's horrible. It's horrible. But it's okay because after a bit of sex education from your brother-in-law, which you always want, um, <laughs> the marriage was consummated in around you know August 1777. Um, Marie fell pregnant in April 1778, and she gave birth to a little girl. Uh, Princess Marie Therese Charlotte uh, in December 1776. Oh, but they're going to be for now because she's not had a son, right? It's a girl, so it's not great, but it's okay because um, in 1781, uh, she has the much-desired male heir, Louis Joseph. Uh, She then has Louis Charles in 1785, and then finally little Princess Sophie in 1786. She dies in the first year of being born. Yes. Um, So you'd think, oh, brilliant. Problem solved. no, unfortunately not. Um, falling miraculously pregnant after seven years of doing nothing um, led to some to start spreading rumours of, well, they're not Louis then. You oh, know, for the love of God. seven years and she's suddenly you pregnant. You are kidding. Can't be Louis. And do you know who started these rumours? Louis's own brothers. Oh, Louis's own brothers start these rumours because if Louis's children aren't legitimate... Then they can jump in. Louis dies... They become king. This, I'm sorry, everybody oh. is out to get them. I cannot with this. Really? Can she catch a really, fucking really? break? Well, we know she can't catch a fucking break because yeah. we know how the story ends, but Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, there was no one at court that Louis was not, sorry, that M- Marie was not accused of sleeping with. Everyone from um, her grandfather in law, Louis XV, after she just got married. <laughs> Bearing in mind that Louis Fifteenth is 70 and she's around 14, um, to her brothers-in-law and even her ladies-in-waiting. So, you know, as I said, the Princess Lambal and uh, Madame de Polignac, you know, so it's, she's she's sleeping with everyone apart from her husband. Um, so these children can't be Louis. They're a result of many of her other other lovers. Right. Um, of course, there's no truth to any of these, but of course the rumour mill spreads. And in a time when people can't read, um, Rumour is the only information people have. Um, And so it spreads like wildfire. Um, And it's even worse when people do start writing it down. So do you know what a libel is? No. A libel. So if I I translate that into English as libel. Uh, Okay, yeah. It's a scandal sheet. Yeah. So it's you know Lady Whistledown in Bridgerton. It's writing, oh, you'll never guess what this person's done and that person's It's Gossip Girl. It's Dumois. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and so she begins appearing in these sorts of things. Um, <sighs> and to provide some context for this, so by the 1780s, France's national debt stood at today three billion pounds. Uh, several failed harvests meant that the peasants were starving. Um, and the Libelles, of course, put this all on Marie Antoinette and her spending. You know, she becomes the lightning rod for public outrage. She becomes a scapegoat and she remains a scapegoat for the rest of her life and for all time, as 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 you'll find out really. Can I just um, say something? 
None of this would have happened if they had some decent sex ed. This is why sex ed is so important. They'd have had a baby. It'd have been sound. I mean, I mean, it literally would have been like by today's standards, statutory rape, which no, we don't stand. Mm. But you know, sis would have had a baby. My boy Louis, he would know how it works. It's like you would think if your entire job basically is to have us, which is kind of the job for both of them. I'm, I know he's mm. like run the country and shit, mm. but like you'd think that someone pull him aside and like, by the by, you like you don't just stick it in; you got to do more. Yeah, mm. but it, like, it's like that interesting thing. If you don't, you don't talk about that kind of thing. There's a belief that it comes naturally, but you know, just, you know. Um, well. Really, Up until but... really recently, to be honest, that's just been yeah. the narrative. There. Yeah, clearly, yeah, that's not how it goes. No, 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 not at all. So yeah, so let's actually talk about why France is in debt. It's got nothing to do with Marie Antoinette's spending. Um, America, uh, France got involved in the American Revolutionary War, which cost them one point five billion livres. Which again, remember, Marie's addresses only cost three hundred thousand. We're talking about one point five billion here which is two and a half times the annual national budget the americans win and so by virtue the french win but then pretty pretty soon the american congress say we're not going to give you any money to reimburse you thanks but yeah we're done now um right so france is left with this piling debt um but of course it's all pitched on marie and her spending she becomes a lightning rod um, so, you know, as I say, the libels from the period. Um, but it's not they... actually, like, it doesn't... Oh, no, 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 no. But, and these libels, you know, contain graphic details of the lavishness and debauchery of the court um, with Marie Antoinette in the centre. Uh, cartoons of her as a monstrous mermaid draining the blood of France. Uh, sexual drawings of her and her supposed lesbian lover, Madame de Polignac. Uh, pamphlets accusing her of sleeping with virtually everyone at court. These were widely distributed... And the thing is, it's the pictures. French, the vast majority of people can't read in France, but they can see pictures. And some of these are really, you know, quite graphic as well. There's one called uh, Le, Le Godemichet Royal, God, uh, the Royal Dildo. That's really oh. what it's called. Yeah, <laughs> really is, really is. Um, and one famous cartoon shows her as an ostrich, you know, that greedy, stupid bird literally guzzling you know, coins into her throat that are then jamming in her throat. Um, and so soon the Austrian bitch becomes the ostrich bitch, which isn't a hard translation to do in French. Uh, Austrian, right. Austrich. So the Austrichian, the ostrich bitch. Um, and she was also given a new nickname of Madame Deficit in the summer of 1787. Um, so Marie tries to go into some kind of damage control here. Um, right. she's fully aware and considering of how she's viewed by the public um, she, begin, she begins dressing more humbly like a peasant um, she gives more money out to the poor she spends more time as a mother with her children and she actually adopts four children including a Senegalese uh, slave child and even a child who was nearly crushed by her carriage as she was driving through Paris she adopts these four children and she brings them, this isn't a, a PR thing. She really cares about these children. They're brought up alongside her own in the Royal Nursery. They're given the finest education. Um, she really is a care, she's a very caring mother. And that's something, again, that we don't see about Marie Antoinette. Yeah, I've never, never uh, once no, heard that. Never in, heard no, that. No, never. No, she, loved, she loved her children. And that's telling in the final letter that she wrote before she died. Um, 
I'll, I'll say it now. Um, so she's there in her prison cell, knowing she's going to be executed. And she writes to her sister-in-law and she says, those poor children, my God, it is heartbreaking to think that I shall never see them again. And they're the last, oh, they're the last words she writes. That is heartbreaking. She, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, but, you know, she does all this, but she's damned if she does and she damned if she did. She's damned if she does and damned if she doesn't. So her decision to wear muslin, which is imported from England, makes it fashionable. So everyone's wearing muslin, but this then comes at the risk of potentially ruining the Huan silk industry and thousands of jobs. Um, it also, of course, leads to claims of she's dressing like a present. She's dressing like a prostitute. So, so again, it's like, it's it doesn't matter life. what the hell yeah, she wears. She yeah, it doesn't matter what she does. What the she hate does. train's real. Yeah, yeah, it, the hate train is real. So, 1789, France is bankrupt and the people are starving after multiple failed harvests. It is the beginning of the French Revolution. Now, Marie actually tries to solve this. She orders, she tells Louis, she convinces Louis. Their son is also dying by this point. Okay, he's dying. He's, um, Louis, their eldest oh, no. son, is very, very, very poorly. He's dying. Oh. But still, she convinces him to call what? what's called the Estates General, which are the three great groups of France, so the clergy, the aristocracy, and the peasants, to basically sort out the financial situation. It doesn't go very well because the clergy and the aristocracy refuse to pay their taxes. They said, we're not going to pay it. We're not going to pay it. Um, so the 500 people from the third estate so the peasants, but these weren't peasants. We're talking about the, the bourgeoisie here, really, the middle classes. Mm. Um, they immediately fall out with them. Somehow they get, they get kicked out of Versailles and they meet up in a tennis ball court in Paris, which is where we have the famous tennis, tennis court oath, which basically says, we are not going to leave until we're given a proper constitution. Um, a couple of days after that, you have the storming of the Bastille, which is another disaster for Marie, not because of, oh, it's the destruction of this great, you know, uh, royal symbol. It's because also trapped inside there, along with seven prisoners, are the really hardcore libels that the French authorities have managed to collect and put away. The revolutionaries find these, and what do they do? They put them out. So this is the Godmichet Royale. This is her being a lesbian. And these aren't just oh, circulated in God. Paris. These are circulated everywhere. Um, oh no, this this is the toxic gossip train. It really is, is all about. And the revolutionaries love it. Why? Because it's a way of attacking the aristocracy and the royal family without attacking Louis. Because they need Louis for their constitution. They want Louis still as king. We've not reached the off with their heads bit of the revolution yet. Got it. Um, they need him for the king, but they can't attack him. So they just attack his wife. Just, you know, attack the wife. She's not important. She's not political. So we'll just attack her. So she is, again, the lightning rod of public hatred. So, again, this is a thing of why is she always seen in these big clothes, these big wigs, this disgustingly over-the-top glamour. That's what the revolutionaries made her. She became a representation of everything that was wrong with the aristocracy, which is why we see her in this way. Wow. Um, so that's amazing Louis... that that's yeah. what's filtered down throughout history, yeah. like after mm -hmm. all of these well, years. It's like mm -hmm. I said, though, history is written by the victors. Like, of course, yeah. we're going to think of it that way, because the people that told the story and carried it on were the ones who were like, nah, fuck that bitch. Mm -hmm. So not only um, did she have a pretty shit life, to be honest, like, let's be honest, but her legacy mm -hmm. was tarnished as well. That's 
fucking her awful. legacy is completely tarnished and she is so hated you know so october 1789 um a group of revolutionaries storm Versailles, the Palace of Versailles, and the purpose was to escort Louis to Paris so he could not be corrupted and have more, more of an active role in the building of this constitution. Um, but when the revolutionaries entered Marie Antoinette's room, they rip her bed apart with knives. They are desperate to find her and kill her. Oh you know, God. because of this stuff. Luckily, she'd escaped just seconds before through a secret passage. But again, it's that thing of, well, okay, so they want to safely escort Louis to Paris. But it doesn't matter if Marie Antoinette is killed, you know, kill the Austrian bitch. Literally, like, it's 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 horrible. Um, and what was Marie doing all this time? She was mourning the death of her eight-year-old son and trying to take care of her husband, who was having a major breakdown. So Louis has a major breakdown in 1789, not just because his son dies, but because he's seeing everything he lives for, you know, a dynasty that goes back 1400 years crumble before him on his watch oh and again God. he's shy he's sensitive so he has a massive mental breakdown or I mean, it's mental, kind of mental health crisis yeah it's very understandable yeah crisis. i mean like he does um so the i'm going to try and do the next bit as quick as i can so the royal family are taken to the tuileries palace uh where they're under semi-house arrest and marie becomes like a, a woman of action she takes control so she corresponds with revolutionaries demanding greater freedoms for her family she writes where relatives across europe asking for military aid and most importantly she plans her family's escape from there so in 1791 she manages to convince her de poor depressed husband um who was still in this relentless battle with the new national assembly for power that enough concessions have been made you know we're not giving any more power up now we've given enough and it was time to escape paris um so they escape the tuileries for they're aiming for the royalist stronghold of montmedy which is on the um border with the netherlands um it's a fortified town there they can go there she'll have the assistance of her brother's troops from austria and they can start fighting back the only problem is the royal getaway car is the grand carriage which is the size of a winnebago it's the size of a camper van. It's huge. Oh, for fuck's sake. You can't miss it, you know. Um, it was deathly slow. The Girl, cabbage cart, break. just get it together. They've, <laughs> got, they've got luggage piled high, all their legs in waiting with them. Um, but they get really, they get really, really close. But they even dress like uh, servants and pretend that they're the servants of um, a made-up uh, duchess who is played by their nanny. Um, in a, in a carriage the size of that with all cash. that luggage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Wait, and the, as if but, oh, this, is, this isn't ours. Them. This is just here. Yeah, this isn't ours, yeah. <laughs> I'm not um, she. No. <laughs> I mean, but like, they... I live for manifestation and, like, being, like, a yeah. lucky girl, but like, that's a bit much. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, they're arrested within 24 hours because the carriage is stopped um, in a town called Varennes, and really cruelly, the postmaster recognises Louis from a coin. So, of course, he oh, handles Louis' say. face every day. So he recognises his face from a coin. And then, of course, they're arrested and they're sent straight back to Paris. This whole ordeal is so traumatic for Marie Antoinette that she literally turns white. Her, her hair turns white overnight. You know, the diary of one of her servants says that uh, in a single night, it had turned uh, white as that of a 73-year-old woman. Marie is only 35 at this point. Oh my god! You know, so it's 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 a real thing. Um, so they're 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 packed back to Paris and they are in 
utter disgrace. You know, Marie is now proven to be the scheming foreign traitor that she always was, and Louis, you know, her weakling puppet. It's not helped by the fact that Louis had written a letter denouncing everything to do with the revolution and left it lying around for anyone to find. Oh my God, <laughs> it's this really guy. stupid thing to do. Um, so how could the new be, how could this new constitution, this brand new France, be trusted in their hands? So this is when republicanism, which you know, five years ago would have been unimaginable, becomes a major force in the revolution. Um, in 1792, the Parisian mob stormed the Tuileries Palace and the royal family are forced to go to the National Assembly and plea for mercy. Uh, they're just returned to the palace under full house arrest. Um, on the 13th of August, uh, 1792, the French monarchy is abolished. They're oh, abolished. Wow. And right. Louis and Marie, who of course were once the most powerful rulers in Europe, are now known as Mr. and Mrs. Capet. What's... C-A-P-T, okay. that's their names there. Capet, that, that is his ancient family name. So the uh, Capetian dynasty. Like Windsor yeah, with the royal family. family. Oh, so they're really yeah. stripped for, of like... like oh, they're like, stripped nah, of everything. Now. They're yeah, stripped yeah, yeah, of yeah. everything. Um, they really dressed like peasants. Like that was really foreshadowing. <laughs> oh my God, no, they, they manifested too hard. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They go almost um, a bit too close to the sun. <laughs> In January 1793, Louis was put on trial for treason and he was con- accused of conspiring against the constitution with the invading Austrian army. Oh, um, no, 95% of the National Convention find him guilty, but it's only a majority of six that leads to his sentence of death by the guillotine. Um, but he was afforded every honour of the king. Uh, he went to the scaffold in the Place de Revolution on the 21st of January, escorted in a grand carriage, and there are still cries of uh, Vival le Roi, God save the king, um, as as he's ascending the scaffold. Um, and of course, his head is chopped off. Marie, she's now called prisoner number 280, is now in the temple prison in Paris, where her health is drastically deteriorated. She's underweight, her hair has turned white. She suffers intense vaginal bleeding, either from, we don't know, either maybe from cancer or just from the intense trauma of this whole ordeal of the past few years. Um, And she spends her days praying and educating her beloved children. She's still got her children around her until they're quite literally ripped from her arms. The revolutionaries come in one morning and rip her children away from her. Are the Um, children still allowed to live or are they also on the chopping block? Yes, yes. None of the children are killed. Only one of her children, her eldest daughter, lives to uh, adulthood. And there are some that call their son Louis, Louis Charles, Louis the Seventeenth. Um, it's not an official title, but there are some people that okay. call him that. Um, it was decided that, you know, Louis the Seventeenth, but not, um, would be given a Republican education. And despite his mother spending endless hours wandering around the temple prison, trying to catch a glimpse of him, he, would, he was later made to condemn her and every action that she ever took. It's really, really grim. Um, And then in October 1793, it's Marie's turn to face uh, a trial. And of course, decades of resentment are just poured out onto her. It's like, right, they literally throw the book at her. So I shall list the things that she's charged with. She must be so done. She's probably just like, I don't care. I'd be like, honestly, like, I'm I'm out. Yeah, just say what you got to (laughs) say. Yeah, let's just move on. I know, I know how this is gonna go. (laughs) She's charged with beefing. I know it. (laughs) 
she's charged with adultery, extravagance, cruelty, murder, and the murder of revolutionary troops who have, of course, gone off to fight her brother's army. She's accused of all their murder. Could you imagine um, being like found guilty of extravagance, though? Like, actually, that's she was literally she was found <laughs> guilty of crimes of fashion, literally. <laughs> Literally, she dressed Stop. too extravagantly. Wait, no, that's actually kind of iconic. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, <laughs> but if there's any way to go, really, like if I'm, it if, if it's gonna happen, like you know, at least let it be for something that's legit, like you know. Mm, mm, mm. But really, quite cruel. So, as you say, Marie Antoinette remains perfectly composed throughout this. She's like, I am the queen. I know who I am. Say what you want. This, I've all heard it all before. Until. The prosecution accused her of incest with her own son, her eight-year-old son, and she goes off on one. She screams at the court and she screams, you know, it's recorded as screaming, I cannot answer to this. And every woman and mother in this room will understand why. Ooh. And, oh remember, she's being, and remember, she's being tried by men. Women are not involved in this trial. So it's, it's, it's Marie Antoinette going... You're not women. If you were women, you would never accuse me of this. If you were a wife and a mother and a woman, you would never, ever accuse me of this. And that's why she says every woman in here knows that that, that's not, I mean, that that, 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 that does not stick. She's furious. That's a low bar. Like, that's 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 low. That's. It's like y'all are just mm-hmm. trying it now. Like, calm down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm. I know. I'm. But, like, you don't have to throw this in my face. Like, you know, I'm gonna die. Like, like, you have to make up more. Like, girl, we. Shit. I've seen this film mm. before. I know how it ends. Like, homeboy mm. Louis already mm. lost his head. Oh, like, come on. That must be awful for her. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. absolutely terrible. And like you say, she already knows her fate. She already mm. knows what's happening. It doesn't matter that these allegations are false. Marie Antoinette, the woman, was not on trial. It was. Marie Antoinette, like the concept the icon. It mm. was the frivolous, sex mad, foreign, greedy caricature who were bankrupted and starved France. Her body, her literal body, represented everything against the revolution, her Austrian heritage, and the very fact that she was a woman in power. Yeah, very that. Um, very that. So this symbol of decadence had to die if the revolution was to succeed. So on the 16th of October, she was unanimously found guilty and unanimously sentenced to death. Remember, it was only a, a majority of 6% that wanted Louis to be executed. Everyone demands her execution. Wow. Which is on the same day. And even at her execution, she's made herself up more than others. Beforehand, somebody even argued that the guillotine was too good for her. They wanted her to be ripped apart by wild dogs, like the Jezebel that she was. You oh, know, Jesus just throw Christ. her out to the street and have her ripped apart. And this was um, the same day as well. That's not what happened. This was the same day. This is, this is in matters of hours. No, th- that doesn't happen, Ellie, don't worry. That doesn't happen. <laughs> so in the oh, hours afterwards, the she, she's, written, she's written this heartbreaking letter. To her sister-in-law saying my children i'm never gonna see them again and they're never gonna see me it's so upsetting and i've been in the cell that she was in at the conciergerie in paris and it's oh, no way. there's a real sense of there's feel a vibe it's a vibe of some poor woman died here who yeah didn't really do anything wrong um Aww. so she's made so she's made to strip in front of her guards, completely naked, and put on, you know, a, a, a Hessian thing. Yeah. Um, her hands are, pine, are, are painfully bound. Her hair is completely shaved off or 
or just shaved very cut. Um, she was only 37, but many in the crowd that saw her execution said she looked more like 70. You know, Ooh. so these are the years that have just born. She looks like yeah. an old, she looks like an old woman. Uh, whilst Louis travelled to his execution in a carriage, uh, Marie was placed backwards on an open cart, pulled by a donkey, um, unprotected from the jeers and projectiles of the crowd. So don't forget, people can be thrown literal shit at her. They oh wait, no, it's literally vegetables. like Cersei in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Literally, like exactly like yeah, this shit shame, is shame, savage. Shame stuff at her. Louis was sent there under an arm guard. Marie is just sort of like just cart her off there. Um, but she keeps her dignity and she ascends the steps. She says a brief prayer. She puts her head down and uh, quarter past 12 in the afternoon on the 16th of October, she is executed and her body uh, was thrown into a mass grave. So do we not, not know even. where it is now? It was, um, so after the Bourbon monarchy was restored, after the fall of Napoleon, she is found and she is buried in the Abbey of Saint-Denis, which is where all the kings and queens of France are buried. And there's a love, if you Google image it, there's a really beautiful tomb of her and Louis. It's really quite nice. It's dug up again. Oh, but yeah, for then, she's buried that, in a mass grave. Yeah. Oh my God, that is the most heartbreaking. I was not oh. prepared. Like... Oh yeah. my god! Like I, so my, now. Yeah, no, I mean, my feels. This mm. poor woman. Oh god! Mm. I mean, I so... think there's no surprise that you know a woman who didn't choose a life and had to make the most out of what she was given, which really, mm-hmm. I think, for women mm. of all stations in life at that time, but you know, in sort of mm. those really high positions, had no choice, had no freedom. You know, she mm. just. Hmm. she just became everyone's punching bag basically and it's just the same thing that always yeah. fucking happens with women in power because it's misogyny and it's oh, I'm, I'm so mm-hmm. fucking tired y'all like <laughs> homegirl deserved so much it better mm. so i mm. i wrote down the question like can we consider her a feminist icon would she be considered a perfect feminist but to be honest like after hearing her life story i feel like my mind mm. is made up. I think she 100% is, but mm. I would like to hear your thoughts on it. Mm. Well, very interesting fact that I only found out in researching for this. So Ooh. everyone's heard of the Declaration of the Rights of Man, yes. I yes. hope. It's this huge yes. thing of, has anyone heard of the Declaration of the Rights of Woman? Only because it was said in that podcast you sent me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a few years later, a brilliant French woman called Olympe de Gouges writes this pamphlet called, uh, you know, uh, yeah, oh yeah, Olympe de Gouge, um, <laughs> you know, Declaration of the Rights of Women. And she's basically saying to women, don't waste this opportunity of the revolution. Take the, 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 the you know, the, your rightful place in society now. Don't, because by then the revolution had become very misogynistic, a sense of, well, it's a revolution, but the men are outside, the women are still inside. You know, yeah. the women can be part of it, but they're at home. She's like, no, get out there and, you know, take part in this revolution and claim what you want to. Do you know who the Declaration of the Rights of Women was dedicated to? Oh, I'm guess it's Marie Antoinette. It was, it was dedicated to the Queen, oh. to Marie Antoinette. So the founding document of, we could say, the feminist movement was dedicated to Marie Antoinette. Oh my and God. with the argument oh. of with the argument of because you know she wasn't on trial yet but she sort of was with the argument that if you are going to judge a woman by her beliefs and her 
actions, then the women need to have a say in the laws that govern that, which was a saying that went right the way through to um, yeah, you know, the suffragette movement. And still today, it's yeah. a sense of if you're going to judge women by these laws, they need to be a part of it. Part of the, the yeah. laws that drag them down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and it goes into the sort of thing of, well, how should we remember Marie Antoinette? It's very easy to fall into the victim trap. I've noticed everyone's going, you know, oh, 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 like that. it's a very sad story. But so many women in history are remembered like that. You remember any, you know, you can go through any woman in history, wrong woman in history. And it's so easy to go, oh, poor woman, poor woman, poor woman. That, the problem with that interpretation is that ripped her of any sort of agency that she had. Yeah. You mm. know, it's the sort yeah. of thing of Marie Antoinette sat there and these people did horrible things to her. Like I say, she fought, you know, she was very involved in the politics. She told Louis, you know, we've got to get out of here. You know, she tells Louis, call the, you know, um, call the Estates General. She's, you know, really trying to have a, a, she, a, a role yeah. beyond having children. It feels like, in a way, sort of before mm. even all that, when she, you know, she started to put a lot of effort into mm. her dress and establishing like her own little sanctuary in her little mansion mm. on this estate mm. of Versailles. Mm. It feels like she yeah. really utilised the very limited tools she had to try and find some kind of agency in her life where there really wasn't any. And you it's have actually, to admire that. It's actually, it's actually, because I was, I, I, you snapped me out of it, Josh. I appreciate that mm. because I was like <laughs> in pity mode. Yeah. But you're yeah. right because she went through all of this and right to the very end, she, as you said, she was very dignified um, yeah. And it's actually quite empowering, really, that she went through all of that. And like, not none of us women, like modern day women, are about to go through anything like that. Yeah. And yeah, mm. she still kept yeah. her shit together, almost. Like it's it, she did. Yeah, it it's... feels like she's almost a totem of resilience. And I think yes, that's something that all that, women absolutely. can really trying to say. <laughs> it's absolutely. like you know, we can all really relate to that. I think as someone like woman plus myself. You know, the amount of shit that mm. we have to deal with just on a day-to-day basis and the fact that we get mm. up from all the knockbacks every single time, she feels like she really embodies that because, you know, oh, first thing, she's being transported to a different country. She doesn't know anyone mm. there. She makes her way through. She deals with it. Evelyn's saying that, oh, like, she's a lesbian. I mean, like, not that's a bad thing this day, but in that day, you know, social suicide. Mm. And she's like, oh, this Austrian woman. And she's like, you know, a bit dim or whatever. She's like, okay, you all want to see some shit? Here's all my finery. And mm-hmm. then when it's like, oh, the people are not really pleased with us right now. Let me switch it up. You know, she just adapted and changed and sort of kept going. And mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. really admire that. And I think that, yeah, for that reason alone, like feminist icon, like I'd be very interested though to see how actual French people who grow up with like the story of the revolution mm-hmm. and sort of as a foundation of the modern French state, how mm-hmm. they perceive her. Yeah. Well, the the French French people at university that I've and French friends that when I say, you know, um, I'm doing something about Marie Antoinette, it's half and half. One go, oh, that poor wronged woman, you know, she was doomed from the beginning. Others go, oh, you know, still to this day, oh, you know, that shameful money spending hussy. You know, I'm glad they killed her. She oh needed to God. die for the revolution. Oh. It's she's still very, very polarized. In it must in be France. complicated as well because the modern French mm. state is built on the basis of the revolution. Mm. So in that sense, like if you, oh yeah, kind of like mm. for some people, she did have to die, 
and it's mm. complicated as someone who isn't French to really sort of say, oh, well, oh, they shouldn't have absolutely. done that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, nuance, I want guys nuance. the whole, <laughs> the whole, the whole, I mean, why I wanted to do this podcast and do the article alongside it is I think people like the version that they know of Marie Antoinette. You know, it's comfy. It's, you know, it is, you know, the devil may care edifice of glamour and excess in the face of haters. It's, mm. you know, rev- so you were saying revenge dress and, and, and stuff like that. And it's flowed down right the way down to, you know, modern movies about her. So there was a 2006 movie with, um, oh, who was it? Kirsten Dunst, where she plays Marion yes, as, you know, this stupid, dumb, girly girl who you know we love that madonna at the vmas doing vogue uh elton john's costume on his 50th birthday party diva 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 she is the ultimate diva yeah Yeah. we love that version about her and i'm not saying that we shouldn't i'm just saying that was one side of a very multifaceted woman you know it's like how i said at the beginning about marilyn you know yeah i Mm. think i think the remembering her like that is kind of a a good thing in the fact that when you know why like when Mm. you know the background behind the diva it's actually pretty 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 feminist (laughs) like it's pretty cool behind yeah so behind those layers and lies that'd be a good book the layers and lies of marie antoinette there is a woman (laughs) there is a woman who at the age of 14 was exiled from her home and went to a foreign country it was made to breed like a brood mare um was hated spat upon and had a head chop and uh, had a head chopped off um that's a real person there and that's always a problem that people have when they look at historical figures they see a picture they see a painting they see a character in a story a character in a story that, that she and i'm still overwhelmed when i think of it now that woman really existed that stuff that we mm. talked about did happen to a living human being can you imagine doing that now it's like kate middleton you know or or or, or well you go uh megan Meghan Markle doing so, you know, yeah, these real very people. Are, could you imagine doing? I mean, it's this close to happening to poor Meghan. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm For sure real. there are people out there who would love to do to Meghan Markle what they did to Marie Antoinette. Really, but you know, and it's only when you think of it in real world figures that we know today, like that, mm. that you think, "Oh God, this actually really happened." This poor 37 yeah. year old yeah. woman. It's hard to connect. Years. Not me, like becoming a Marie Antoinette stan. Like Shakira's got competition I... now. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! First of all, drink because Absolutely. every time uh, Adam mentions Shakira, oh. you have to drink. Um... I've got water, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> we we've never actually done it. It's more for yeah. <laughs> we need to do it. Like so one time, we need to actually do it, Ellie. Yeah, no, yeah. for real. Christmas for real. special. Yes. Yes. <laughs> special. We'll bring all of our past guests on. Oh my god, chaos! Um, <laughs> amazing. Honestly, I I almost want to I want to continue chatting about it because it's it's. Yeah. Thank you so I, much, Josh. Josh, honestly, you, you told you told the fuck out of that story. Like that right. was a well-told story. Right. <laughs> I don't care if you're listening and want more of this or doing more of this because I loved this. Yeah, no. Yes, as long as please. Josh, you're happy to come back. Because... Absolutely. This was brilliant. I loved it. No, that is so good. It was and... like story time. Yeah, no, I loved it. Absolutely. I was uh, immersed. I was immersed. And you know, mm. it's, you're right. It's so hard to connect with historical figures, but mm. damn. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. So... Yes, I think read should... your history, people. Sorry, that's my final thing. Read your history. <laughs> don't don't just look at the pictures in that. 
look at the person, read about them, and there is a story behind all these people that you just don't bother to know. Preach. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like legit, this was so fun. This, I really this enjoyed is this. Like, probably one of my fa- my favorite episode that we've done so Me far. Me too. Have it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, on that note, um, thanks so much for listening, guys. For for those of you who don't know, obviously this podcast is brought to you by the new feminist magazine and josh is our history editor and we do have a history column everything is written by him and it's amazing honestly some of the the history articles we have are Bloody really belting. really worth yeah they're really worth going to read so defo go check that out and um as per um let us know if you have any comments slide in the dms questions yeah we'll read it out as we where can we find us ellie where can we where can we find us uh you can find us at our website thenewfeminist.co.uk and you can find us on instagram at the new feminist magazine and all other socials are at tnf magazine love y'all thanks guys bye bye bye